Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for joining us. Great episode today with Brian James O'Connell. He's back for a third time. I I love having him on. First, just want to mention we have a couple of new posts on our YouTube channel. So go check those out, youtube.com slash there it is. We have an enhanced version of recent episodes on there, including a bonus episode. I love the enhanced versions that brother of the show, Trey, is putting together. He's finding some fun stuff in there, and a lot of it is showing what we are referencing. Like if we're talking about something and you're like, I I didn't see that, I don't know what they're really talking about, or I didn't read that article, he puts that stuff in the YouTube episode. So go check those out. That's for the newer episodes, not for the old ones. If we share like episode 58, it's not going to be like that. But this episode next week, probably going to have some enhancements. Speaking of this episode, we've got Brian James O'Connell, as I mentioned, and I love having him on. Really appreciate him as an improviser and as a person. We have a really interesting discussion. You may not agree with everything we say, and I'm interested to hear that. So share your thoughts or your arguments with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at There It Is Pod. All right, well, let's just get right to it. Here's my chat with Brian James O'Connell. You listened to the recent episode with Alrenthia Carter. You messaged me mm-hmm. and you quoted something saying, from the perspective of perfection, or we can look at at it as this feeling thing where you have power and control. You were like, buddy, I know yeah. I've been on a few times already, but whenever you have some time to drop out, <laughs> like, please let me know if you need a last minute replacement. I have thoughts. So I want to know what these thoughts are. Yeah. I, yeah. I, uh, I popped pretty good for that line of yours. And then I immediately, <laughs> Mainly did something that I, I, I very rarely do, which is just uh, reach out directly to a person and say, hey, I'm doing this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and let me tell you, you're one of the main people that I, I would just love to continuously have back on this podcast, if not the uh, main one, honestly. That is, that is very, very kind of you to say. That is very kind. Uh, yeah, just that line of, you know, instead of us approaching improv approaching this art form through the sense of the, for the perspective of perfection of like, it's something that we have to perfect and then own and there, and therefore uh, can say that we have like, it's an achievement unlocked in a video game. Like this is a goal that I have clearly (laughs) accomplished. And now that is set and done over in stone. Like it's not winning the Heisman trophy that year. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But then come, but then you followed it up with the, like the idea you're like, or, you know, instead, 
instead of approaching it from the perspective of perfection, maybe, you know, approach it from the idea of power and control. And obviously there's some, you know, some uh, questions of like, you know, what control means and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. And, you know, there's some hard stuff that we've been going through with improv the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years when it comes to those things, but just having control of your own power and sort of expressing it that way. And I was just like, it sucked because I was in the shower, so I couldn't really at <laughs> that section of it. Like I have, to, I, have to, I do a lot of multitasking because the shower at that point, and I couldn't like really like jump up and down the way I wanted to because I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna break my goddamn neck. Uh, but there was a there was a fist bump there. Uh, before we get into any of my thoughts, can you just elaborate on that for me because it was dope, and I just want to make sure I'm understanding it well, and also. I just want to hear more of it again. <laughs> I well, I don't know if I'll get any fist bumps trying to elaborate on it. I I just think that you know I'll put it in terms of this, and as far as perfection, if somebody okay. wants to learn a musical instrument, you can sort of perfect that skill over time because <laughs> it has to do with like being a technician. You know, using your fingers on this instrument in a very specific way to get this specific outcome. But improv doesn't yes. like that. Improv no. does not, the, the skill is talking and using your body. So yeah, I mm -hmm. can get better at expressing emotion a certain way, but right. improv inherently is about us interacting with each other. Yeah. improv yeah. is not uh this singular thing of me just being really good at accents mm -hmm. or really good at improv is when we interact with each other and right. explore so there is no way to perfect that it's not the same kind of skill so looking at it from this perfection standpoint is automatically just barking up the wrongest tree <laughs> And then right. as far as power and control, I think you get, I, I, we can be empowered by recognizing yes. that we can relinquish the perfection struggle and we actually have control over relinquishing that and giving ourselves that power. We, we don't need somebody else to tell us to do it. We don't need someone else to show us how to do it. It's just something that needs to happen in our mind where we go, mm. I have the control here to care about perfection or not care about it. And when you decide to not care about it, you have empowered yourself so much. Yes. Ah, mm. <laughs> inject it into my fans, put it, put it, put it into a soup and let it simmer for days and just, Every time you pass by the kitchen, just take another little bowl and sip on it. <laughs> ah, that's perfect, man. I Thank appreciate you. you saying that. Thank you for putting that in so many words that I, I could not. Like I, I relate a lot to the to the musician because I'm also a guitar player. I was a working musician for eight years in North Carolina. Uh, I usually like my usually go to is like, oh, what was that all like? I'm like, well, it was good. Like you know, I, I I sang lead. I I played rhythm guitar. I probably wrote 85 percent of the material in any band I'm in. And I have, I have definitely, I definitely open for bands you have heard of. So that is usually that's the bubble that I give people in, because uh, then, because then the next thing you know is like, well, I don't want to name drop. That's gross. Right. That's gauche. Mm -hmm. But that idea of uh, yes, you can practice an instrument 
to the point where you have a objective mastery of the the dexterity that you need to be able to produce what's in your head through your fingers and to where another person mm-hmm. can uh, can interpret it through their ears and through their heart for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. But there are certain phrases, especially when it comes to improv, that at the end of the day, mastery of your of your instrument only means so much if it is only for the purpose of saying, look how good I am at doing this one thing. Like <laughs> I, I, I focus more on songwriting um, than I did like running scales and doing mm-hmm. sweep arpeggios and all those kind of things for, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, very early on, I was lucky enough to read an interview with uh, Muzz Skillings, who was the original bass player for uh, Living Color. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about a conversation he was having with his brother, who's also a musician. Um, and I think Muzz was listening to like, you either listen to Bad Brains or Black Flag or one of those. And, he was, and his brother was kind of like scoffing. He was like, I, I, I could play that. He was like, yeah, but could you write it? Could you write it? Like, could right. you write? Yeah, you could. Yeah, you, anyone could probably play Blitzkrieg Pop, you know, mm-hmm. Blitzkrieg Bop or, you know, Rise Above or anything like that. But that's not the point. Could you exactly. create it? Could you envision it and then I also i so think many it's, times when people uh, will yeah. say now like oh guitarists are better now because they know how to do all that stuff but it's like but can you capture people with what you create the way jimmy <laughs> hendrix did you yeah. cannot say people are as good as jimmy hendrix because they learned to play jimmy hendrix they had to learn to play <laughs> jimmy hendrix right to get there you know jimmy hendrix yeah i mean jimmy it's hendrix, right yeah, it's it's similar. Like, yeah, there's on the one hand you have Hendrix, who is like being able to have the vision, the creative vision to put mm-hmm. all that sort of together on that. And yes, you can make the argument that similar to the martial arts, it all builds on each other. And there are right. things, yes, that now people can do that they could maybe do in 1960, 1940, 1840. Right. But it all comes back to the same thing, which is to be a to be a a guitar a blues master is the same thing as being a martial arts master because it's just about that one punch right <laughs> like i my my ex brother in law used to be uh he probably still is uh he was a manager for blues and roots music act so i've been lucky enough to to go and see a lot of great people up front uh and i've seen buddy guy and 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 oh, sun seals and uh but it's always bb king and bb king does the same thing it'd be a bunch of guys underneath and then whoever like the new hot guys would BB uh, King would headline at the end, he'd have them all come. And without fail, whether it's your, you know, you know, uh, whatever blue eyed, blonde haired, white blues <laughs> guitar player, who's just bad as hell uh, and play. And he would get it up there and he's trying to do everything he can to impress B, you know, BB King to him. Like I, I, I'm good at this. And BB King's like professional wrestling. He's putting him over. He's just sitting on his chair going, mm. Mm. he'll like look at the audience and point at him like oh he's bad yeah you know, i respect this guy videos. you should respect yeah yeah he's putting them, and then when they're done like playing behind their back and with their <laughs> teeth and all that bb king goes oh yeah oh my turn okay and destroys yeah. them with yeah. one note and it's just it's the same thing with like martial arts masters boom but so <laughs> yeah and just to finish my thought like when learning when if your goal is to just learn mastery of an instrument it also doesn't help you not only with the creative creativity part of it but also the relatability the chemistry more good bands have not have not made music that we have ever heard than good bands we have heard Mm -hmm. simply because the bands fell apart ahead of time Ingve malmsteen 
is arguably one of the greatest and most important guitar players of all time. He invented the scooped frown, uh, you know, the, the scalloped scooped fretboard mm-hmm. so that it wasn't actually, you know, he was playing in midair. Mm-hmm. He was one of the very first, if not the most important and probably creative visionary when it comes to the European style of uh, metal guitar playing, where it's mm-hmm. very classical based instead of, and melody based versus, you know, blues based like it is in America or, uh, or how it was in, in England and Europe during the first wave of the British invasion, where they were all listening to old roots records and, and blues records and, and reinterpreting it. But Ingve Malmsteen, and probably even admittedly so, if you asked him today, was one of the worst sons of bitches to ever be around. He was just absolutely insufferable. Every yeah. band fell apart because of him. He drank too much. He got fat. He, he was conscionable. So it's like, I heard great. That so he yeah. did all that. Yeah, he did all that stuff, but we're not talking about him the way that we talk about Hendrix or BB King or anybody else. So right. you have to, don't be a there's jerk. A balance. <laughs> yeah, don't be a jerk. Yeah. There's a balance. Like I've heard there's someone, uh, uh, one of my best friends is a guitarist, and he was telling me a story about how um, there, it was like at, I, I don't think it was at Crossroads Festival, but it was at a festival mm-hmm. where there were a bunch of different guitarists around, and everyone was sure. jamming. And it's understood mm-hmm. that you go, I think it was 16 bars, my friend said, when you're jamming. Usually 8, 16 bars, something right. like that. Depends on how many. Depends right. on how many, yeah. Well, he just kept playing, just was blowing past it and going on and on and just hogging. And I think this was just like a jam session. I don't even think this was on stage. Sure. It could have been. But uh, he was just doing that, and everyone was getting annoyed, so the band started screwing with him. And after every... So measures, they would go up an octave. And he, yeah. because he was so in his head, wasn't recognizing what they were doing. And so he would just be playing off key. And then he would be like, oh, what? And then he would change. And then they would go up again. <laughs> and he would be like, what? And he got so mad. But it's like, don't be a jerk. Don't yeah. be a hog. You know? like Modula- Modulating up a key one step at a time like the like the end of some pop songs where it's like here's the chorus now here's the chorus you know like modulated up again, like, the dream police the dream police and then him being his oh but what a great lesson to learn you know yeah good on him yeah awesome. I mean, so i have a i have a yeah go finish your thought and then i have a question oh i was just gonna say the only uh, the only time i ever hear about ingve is when i keep seeing this one guy wearing an ingve who shirt and i don't it's not like disparaging him i think it's supposed to be like Ingve Malstein, that's who, you know, it's, so, it's supposed to be something like that. But gotcha. few and far between, you know, like, yeah, everyone's on John Mayer right now. <laughs> like, all the guitars on YouTube <laughs> exactly. and Instagram, they're not talking about Ingve. Yeah. And also, too, like in improv, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. So, yeah. like, if you're big into Eddie Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen would be like, look, anyone that knows that, like, Eric Clapton's my guy, but I also play like Jimmy Page. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jimmy Page, you know, Jimmy Page on record is great, but Jimmy Page live is like listening to a four year old with a broken wrist. <laughs> and then you go to and then you go listen to Jimmy Page and, and Clapton and Clapton will be like, look, anyone who knows is I'm just ripping off Albert King and Buddy Guy. And yeah. then you go and talk to Buddy Guy. And Buddy Guy was like, I was great, you know, coming up on like Howling Wolf and all those mm-hmm. and, and Hubert Sumlin. And you just keep going back. And it all goes back to Robert Johnson. And it's the same thing with Ingve, like. Ingve mm-hmm. Malmsteen can talk all the trash he wants, but somewhere Richie Blackmore from it's going to be like, excuse me, <laughs> I'd like excuse a word. <laughs> excuse me, excuse me. I gave up guitar for an entire two years to learn how to play cello. Mm, 
I think I, I think I might have something to say. I wrote smoke on the water. I might have something to say here. Uh, so yeah, I had a question because the, the part that I really pop for, and I like is the idea of like taking back control and power and learning that, you know, being able to express yourself in those things. And I mean, you just said, Anyone who's listening to this can just rewind it and listen to all the great stuff. I'm not going to say any better. I, I'm curious, though, because I think, of, as you know, I think about this stuff all the time. Yeah, that's why um, Thank you. Uh, right back at you. Uh, so I am curious to know what you think is the solution moving forward. I get asked a lot mm. about BOC. What do you think it's going to be like when we, you know, quote unquote, go back to normal or go back to live performance or however they put it to me, whatever version of that is. Mm-hmm. And, and on the one hand, my girlfriend, Elizabeth, she says, hello, by the way. Oh, know. hello. Elizabeth. Uh, yeah. Uh, she, I, th- I think she put it best in the shorthand. When I'm trying to be positive, I'll use the shorthand that she uses. Uh, when people ask me that question, I say, well, it's good. I, th- we're definitely not going away. Improv will be here when we get back. Mm-hmm. It'll just be smaller and different. And so that's, and that's okay. It's okay for things to be smaller and different. That's, uh, you know, that's, a, those are hors d'oeuvres. Those are appetizers. You know, mm-hmm. there's a, that's a, there's a whole, there's a whole cuisine based around tiny plates. Um, but I have some other theories, but I want to know like, what's yours? Cause I get to ask so much, but I don't get to ask other people. What do you, what, I mean, we have seen, I will say that I am happy. It, it appears. And I am sort of glad that if it sort of seems to trend that way, that the era of massive improv institutional training center is over because the three big ones are in either not existing or in bad shape or fundamentally every day, a new article comes out about how they are fundamentally going to be different from ever, which I think is a positive thing. But my basic question, we could talk about that later too. Mm-hmm. My basic question, because I don't get to ask it for anybody else, and I really respect your opinion a lot. Oh, thank you. What, yeah, you got it. What do you think it's going to be like when we, quote unquote, come back? I, I think the optimist in me is definitely saying like, oh, things can be better. It can be... Uh, mm-hmm smaller uh the way it needs to be can maybe be like the the scrappy thing uh maybe ucb was in the early 2000s where it was just it's just about the excitement and not about the industry um i i think though that there are so many people who've been displaced in new york that they're going to look yeah. for something and they're going to recreate yeah. something and that it's going to have mm-hmm. the same problematic attitudes of cutthroat nature to get ahead yeah. because it's all about getting on SNL or getting your own TV show or, or whatever it is. And, yeah. and I, so it's a lot, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a large market. It's a large market problem to be sure. A major yeah. market problem to be sure. Keep yeah. Going. And so I think that's going to rear its ugly head. Um, in some way. And that's, that's, I hate to say that because the optimist in me wants to believe that we can just get this right as far as how we treat people. I think in long part things are going to be better though. Yeah. Some, some of, some of that better is already happening. Our, our girl, 
Corin Wells is part of the uh, that new Squirrel Theater mm-hmm. in New York, and and you know, and congrats and kudos and hat tip to her to go and she just got hired to to work with Amber. So it's like, yeah, yeah two yeah. two tastes that go great together. I couldn't be happier <laughs> about that. Oh yeah, uh, I was like, I was like, Ruffin, you got a good one there. Well done. Right? <laughs> yeah. So Absolutely. so I think there are stuff like that and like Bird City that uh, that Tavish Forsyth has put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, down in Baltimore, and then mm-hmm. you, know, you know, Nick and and Josh are really putting their money where their mouth is when it comes to being uh, inclusive and opening up things like casting and and trying to be aware mm-hmm. and ask and being proactive, asking ahead of time. I mean, those guys are my friends, but also part of the reason they're my friends is because I love and respect them as human beings so much because they mm-hmm. do do stuff like that, like being proactive and asking ahead of time. Hey, we're putting together a sketch project. We want to make sure that our casting is being a- a- as uh, equitable as possible. Does anybody have any advice for us? Does anybody have anything like mm. taking those steps before versus mm. having what I have found in the past would be a lot of retroactive, like, mm-hmm. oh, we fucked up. Now we're doing this thing. Yeah. And then it gets that sense of like, are you really doing it or is this just performative? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Or it's like, all There's right, all, we'll change yeah. everything, but I'm, you know, I'm just doing yeah. it this way because everybody said this, but I haven't actually learned the lesson. Yeah, I think um, yeah. I, I think we've seen that in a couple of few theaters. And now there's this new sad thing that's come out of Second City. Oh no! Did you oh hear yeah, about, <laughs> about the yeah the, now the late night staff, the like the people who keep that place making money. Uh, yeah, I are have, I not going to be yeah. able to be rehired. The, the bartender is working there for four years, forty years, and he's forty years. I can't believe that. You know that that like. I mean, I mean, I say I can't believe it. I say I can't believe it because I think it's monumentally shitty. But we mm-hmm. all know how these big companies operate, so I'm not surprised. But it's it's yeah. still monumentally shitty. Yeah, as you know, I like to keep my 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 finger on the pulse of these sort of things. So like they they definitely come across the old desk of BOC pretty often and frequently. And the first, you know, when I first heard that it was a, a venture capitalist company buying it, I was like, ugh. Yeah. All right, but that's but that's part of the nature of capitalism. Who else is gonna buy it? Who else can afford to buy an institution like that right. except for VC? And then you hear whispers of stuff that I'm not really at liberty to talk about because I don't no. want to talk out of school. Same. But you know, I was like, oh, that's a, that's a nice step to hear that they're doing that. That seems like legitimate. Mm-hmm. And then that was like a week ago. Then yesterday, mm-hmm. it's, hey, we're uh, we've turned over our. Uh, well, okay, if you've if you've turned over, it's one thing for a VC company to say, look, we don't know shit about running a restaurant. And I've worked in many restaurants with many GMs and many owners who came from a different background and then started running a restaurant because that was their dream and they should have not been. So on the one hand, I do appreciate the honesty and the openness of being like, look, we're going to hire this company that knows how to run restaurants. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side of that, when you hired them, you absolutely had the power to say, depending upon us hiring you, that means you have to agree to bring all the people back. Right. You're like, they could have done that and it wouldn't have cost them anything. Right. And so, yeah, when I first saw that uh, Chicago Tribune, uh, like I immediately retweeted it uh, with the, you know, the capture of like people, most of the people that lost their jobs there are people that work there because they cared about the productions on stage and they felt uh, a, a respect and an honor to the history of the institution itself. Mm-hmm. And then uh, whatever that quote was, and then just underneath it, I was like, boy, does that sound familiar? Because mm-hmm. I did it. I did the same thing for Sharna, like an asshole. 
like a moron that I did that. So I'm hoping to come back around to what we were talking about. Like, I'm hoping that let those big institutions die off, you know, let them, let them go this way and let them be the McDonald's of, of comedy or whatever. And then we can go back to these smaller, more, more bespoke, like you were saying, it was like, it'll be smaller. And it, like, mm-hmm. how do we do that then? How do we do the small thing without yeah. running into those things? Like you were saying, without running to those same things of like, well, now it's got, it's all theater politics and backstabbing because mm-hmm. everyone's trying to get on stage because you're trying to get or they're going to make the same blah, blah, mistakes blah. that Sharna yes. or anyone at Second City yes. made, you know, like that's yeah. the thing. It's like, I think it's a, I won't say double well, the easy, sword, the easy but. mistake to not make the easy mistake to not do Sharna's mistake is don't be a sociopath. <laughs> don't be completely devoid of any empathy whatsoever. Uh, and then just, if you want a good, like good rule of thumb, and that's the nice thing about not working at a theater anymore is that I can just, I don't represent anyone, but myself mm-hmm. just read any Donald Trump tweet in Sharna's voice and vice versa. Same human being. It's the oh, same wow. human being. Yeah. She have, even when she announced that she was closing, she could not get through the first paragraph without saying how important she was and how the history was. And then she like, she thinks she invented comedy. So you know, just ask her. You know what I mean? So. I'm super sad that that theater closed because of hearing like Dave Pesquese say, that's been my home for decades, you know? Um, yeah. That's where yeah. my heart breaks for it, where it's like, well, does it have same, to close? Same, same, same. And, w- and that's where yeah. I wish it was just sold off to someone who will honor the name and honor the people mm-hmm. who are performing there and uh keep that part but who can afford it exactly (laughs) who could afford it that would care to do it the right way you know what i mean (laughs) and the people yeah and honestly the people that have the money to do it who have a history at this place are doing different things that they're like it is easy for us to fantasy book like we're you know you know I'm, i'm big into pro wrestling it's easy to fantasy book Oh, like what if Tina Fey bought IO and then right. like, yeah, does she want to? Right. Isn't she making television shows? Right. Like, regardless, regardless of SNL. how you feel. Yeah. But like when, when Warren that's... leaves, uh, <laughs> Tina Fey could do it. Conan O'Brien could do it. Yeah. But they're kind of busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> doing something I mean, regardless, they may not want to. Yeah. Regardless of how you feel about them personally. And I know there's, you know, problematic stuff about everybody that you can bring up at any mm-hmm. certain point. Uh, but like, it's just, you don't get to make that decision for them and then be disappointed when they don't do the thing that you invented in your brain. Right. (laughs) Right. It's not, it's not that easy. And also like people are fallible and they will make some mistakes on some, in some regard. Some of them will go so far as to say like, why would I ever make that mistake? I already know how thankless it is to run a comedy theater. You want me to put my successful career on hold, invest millions of dollars of my own money to be raked across the coals every day that I'm not doing it right. I'm going to pass. I, I will, I'll tell you once we stop recording, there was a very famous person that I am connected to through improv and who was a huge improv person, but a person you have definitely heard of. Everyone listening to this has definitely heard of. And we asked him if they would be interested in, uh, and they cut us off before we even finished the mm. fucking question. Not on your life. Not a shot in hell. Wow. Thank you. I'm very flattered, but never. <laughs> it was just like, yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you when we're off air. Cause I okay. don't want to, you know, out it. I don't want to out anybody, but I right. was just like, there's a lot of uh, that, <laughs> inside baseball. And that was 10 out. years ago. 
That was 10 years wow. ago. Yeah. Yeah. And that's was like, part of the reason where I'm not sure there's, I won't get into inside baseball with this either, but sure, there's so much with UCB where it's like, I don't know, maybe they won't come back because if they did, they're going to be under a microscope. They have to know they would be under a microscope. and They've well, been under a microscope right. and have not been good. Have not been good while they've been currently on the mic. They tried to bring back company script. You know what I mean? That's crazy. Oh, I don't that, know. Oh, am I? Oh, uh, a year or two ago, it was revealed that uh, that CFO, uh, that fucking nightmare person who I've never met, and never want to. Um, they were so they were so overwhelmed and kind of out of sorts of like how they were going to like have people who are doing work study interning to pay for classes like almost mm -hmm. everyone had done they were going to start giving them all uh official ucb credit cards that would that they would swipe and that would put their money on there and they would use that to pay for class when you offer something that is only legal tender that can be used in your store that is something called script s-c-r-i-p company script is from an old 1800s early 1900s where a company town would come in and say we're going to build a town to do all this lumber here in this big forest and we're going to hire a bunch of people to work here and you're going to live in this town that we built and you're going to work for us this company and we're going to pay you not in money but we're going to pay you in these paper or these coins that we created. And you can only spend that money in the company stores that we built. So if you want to get stuff like eggs or flour or milk or medicine, that's illegal. That's literally illegal wow. in this country and has been for almost a hundred years. And they were trying to bring it back. And I was like, dude, you've already been under the microscope for a year. And one of your solutions was to bring back fucking company script. Wow. How? I how are no you this bad? And you're the chief financial officer. It'd be one thing if you were just the tech guy. Who <laughs> just had an idea and didn't know the history. But Money CFO. is in your goddamn title. <laughs> Money. <laughs> you know, oh, finances. Wow. So, yeah. So, and, and honestly, I don't, how, like you said, how can they come back? They're going to be under the microscope. But they, they should they they. possibly want to. And then also, yeah. They can't afford it. Yeah. I mean, it's just what they just the loans that they would have to pay back because so much of it didn't go to to paying their employees, which means it's not forgivable. They have to pay it back at a one percent interest. Mm. Uh, I and honestly, like, you know, I know some of them and I'm tight with some of them and some of them I don't know. Uh, but like any of those people that are in charge at UCB, like I have to imagine a small part of them is just going, thank God, thank God, dodged a bullet. Let's just cash out. Let's all we wanted to do was teach classes to make money, to pay our rent while we were trying to get on SNL. And then we blinked and it was 20 years later and we we're 25 years later. And we were like, we're, we're not built for this. We're not equipped. Right. For, we didn't go to business. Well, school. it blew up in such I've a, got a drama degree. That's <laughs> what I keep saying to people about these improv theaters. Like they're all started by improvisers, not mm -hmm. business majors they're not they're not people who necessarily know yeah. any of that stuff so uh, of course they're going to make mistakes business mistakes but then also it's such a risky business it's hard to get a person with a strong business mind in there and then that person is probably going to make a bunch of 
capitalist decisions that don't really support the art, which is maybe what we're seeing with Second City. Yeah. I don't know. But like, I mean, I, I have the same thing about SAG, which is not does not make me popular to my to my SAG actor friends, where I'm just like, I would kill, I would kill for one year for SAG to not for the SAG president to not be an actor. Have a have a board of actors who understand what the business is like and all that. And in uh and in interview a bunch of people, but put that person in charge. Chris, let me put it this way. Chris Paul is substantially the president of, of, you know, mm-hmm. it's like the player. Paul's the president of, the, yeah, he's the president. Then I want to make sure I'm getting the titles correct. Chris Paul is the president of the NBA players association, mm-hmm. the union, mm-hmm. right? He is a player. He is a current player. He is a current superstar player. He is a first bout up and down Hall of Fame player if he stopped playing today, right? Mm-hmm. Respect of his peers. A lot of the guys that are on that board are all very, very smart and know the sport backwards and forwards and are all current players. Michelle Roberts is the executive director. She is someone who was a lawyer in DC that was, you know, her, you know, go to her resume and pack a lunch, right? You know, with mm-hmm. a, a, you know, with, uh, apologies to Drew Drogi. That's his line. Go, go, go to IMDb and pack a lunch, right? Um, but like her very first press conference, where they're like, uh, "How do you feel about you know uh, you're going to be negotiating with you know all these billionaires, some of the richest men in the world who own the you know the governors of these teams, uh, these thirty owners of the NBA teams," and without missing a beat at her opening press conference after getting hired to the job she goes the graveyards are filled with the bones of the men who slept on me i'm like give me that person wow who is looking right (laughs) give me that person who's looking out for my interests and trying to grow and build this theater while i am focusing on making the art and creative decisions i can disagree with them they can come to me like look you can make a bunch more money if you did it this way Versus the way that you want to do it. I'm like, you know what? It's important to me that we do it this way. And they go, hey, it's your company. I'm just telling you. And that's it. Right. right. But like, give me that. Give, I would yeah. kill for Michelle Roberts to be the head of SAG for one year. <laughs> yeah. <For> one year. <laughs> Holy shit. There's um, got to be, <laughs> there's got to be day. somebody. I mean, my, my level three at the magnet had somebody mm. who's like a CNBC contributor and she's worth millions of dollars because she's got uh, a, a hedge fund or investment firm yeah. or something like that that she uh, runs. So, I love hearing <laughs> stuff like that, by the way, too. That's like, like my favorite thing. It's so random like, about being in a big city doing improv. Yeah. Because when you're taking improv classes, anybody could be in those classes. <laughs> Dude, what, one of my one of my one of my two my two favorite stories of all time. Uh, when it comes to improv class, and I, I've got some, like I, I taught improv to, you know, to Tayson Day, Chocolate Ring. He's a oh, nice kid, right? He's, he yeah, seems he's like sweet. a nice kid, yeah. And I, and I was just covering the class for Marion Oberly. So when I got into the class and then got out and we were emailing back at Jeff, like, hey, this is what we worked on. This is the notes I gave and all that. I was like, hey, thanks for not telling me you had a goddamn internet star. She's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, do you not know? I got to send her. The YouTube chocolate link to Chocolate Rain. Rain. She had no idea. She was like, 900 billion. Like, yeah, <laughs> views. She had no idea. But my two favorites are, number one, uh, my friend who took a UCB class with Jerry O'Connell. And they are doing they're doing a rehearsal warm-ups at their home before their grad show. And Jerry's like, hey, is it okay if my wife comes in and just sits on the couch? 
because uh, she's in the car right now and I don't want her to sit for an hour. They're like, sure. You mean Rebecca Romaine <laughs> stain? You know, like at the time, Rebecca <laughs> Romaine. Right? right. And so she she's sitting on the couch and they're just doing a Herald in front of her as a warm up before they go do their grad show at like three o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday. And she's like, oh, my God, you guys are so funny. It's like mystique. Thinks we're fu- <laughs> Where are we? There's that one. And then my my favorite of all time is my homegirl, Lauren Miller, uh, Lauren Minier now. Uh, she was in class with the Miz, Mike Mizrin from the from WWE. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's he's super nice guy. That's I met him there. I met Morrison there. It was also a super nice guy. And it's my favorite story of all time. They're having their last class before their last grad show on Sunday. And so like the class is Tuesday night and the grad show is on Sunday. And at the end of class, he was like, Hey guys, I just want to say I'm really sorry. Um, I'm not gonna be able to make it uh to a last to our last grad show. This Sunday, I'm really, I'm really bummed about it. I've been having a lot of fun. You guys are so much fun. I, I just, I just want you guys to know if, if, if it was, any, if it was any other Sunday, I would have, I would definitely be there and have a lot of fun. And then someone was like, "Oh, uh, why, why can't you make it?" He goes, "Oh, uh, WrestleMania." Uh, he was because of WrestleMania. And this 19 year old kid, Lauren Miller, knew who he was, but like didn't blow up his spot. Like just treated him like right. Mike, you know, quote unquote <laughs> Michael from class and this 19 year old kid who clearly had no idea who he was was just like oh are you going (laughs) and and to his credit sweet sweet boy from parma ohio right outside of cleveland right uh he could have blown up that kid's spot he could have been a jerk to him but it's my favorite of all time he just goes uh uh no no i i'm in it (laughs) <laughs> that was that was the wrestlemania where he wrestled john cena oh wow and with the help and with the interference interference of dwayne the rock johnson the miz won the wwe championship <laughs> instead of being at his last level six grand show yeah that is, i mean that's the tops that's the tops they say when you get famous you become an asshole a little bit you know like for mm. for a little bit at least but yeah. if you can, at that moment in his career, not mm-hmm. seize the opportunity to shit on this guy and go like, "Do you know who I am?" or anything like that, it says a Are lot you about his shitting character. me. Like, yeah, right. it, none of that. It, it reveals really, character. It really yeah. says a lot about his character that he's mm-hmm. not that he wouldn't do that <clears throat> in that moment and wouldn't. Right. Because and and he maybe it's a per- type of personality that it was more humbling. Where it was like, yeah. okay, not everybody knows who you are. You know, just that's yeah. cool. Just like accept that's that. Cool. That relax, but uh, but I'm main eventing WrestleMania event. with John Cena <laughs> and The Rock. There had to be a little bit of that when he was driving home, just going like, but it's but surely he knows who The Rock is. <laughs> like what? You know, like, I, should I have said more in class? Uh, I feel like I feel like you and I can just keep getting off off topic and telling fun stories here. But that so I'm, is I'll just still throw this... related in that it's about you know power and control yeah. that you have in in a in an area. Oh, what a great callback! Look at you, what a fantastic! <laughs> I learned from uh, the best. Oh, we're just I'm only as good as the people I share the stage with, brother. Uh, <laughs> so here's my here's my theory that I throw out a lot, and sometimes I get pushed back on it, sometimes I don't. Uh, some uh, which is which is easy now because there's no there's no live theater to be had so there's no 
it's, it's, it's easy for this to talk about in theory and instead of practice. So a lot of times I get asked like, what's it going to be like when we come back on that? And a, and a lot of my stuff is I, I put it in the caveat of if I was starting now, like I've, I've been heavily involved, if not starting running two major, you know, important, I would say comedy theaters. Uh, I think I've done my part for King and country. I'll never say never. But to get me to to be that deeply involved in the third one, mm. it, it 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 better be a sweet deal, right? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. but when people ask me that, like, what I would do starting today, what how would I do it? My first things are completely divorce your training center from your stage time, mm. which includes abolishing all house teams, mm-hmm. no house teams, period. And the second thing is, I would say. I would have the business have some sort of income, main income that supported keeping the lights on. So therefore I did not need to rely on my shows or my training center to pay the bills because I feel like that's so often mm-hmm. where th- those two places where people go wrong. I always use the example of it's not there anymore, but it was one of my favorite places. Uh, it was in Cincinnati on their main street, which is kind of their musicians row. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it was a place called Sudsy Malone's. It was a bar and a laundromat that you could also see live music. So, oh. right? Yeah. So you bring your laundry, you, you get quarters from the bar, mm-hmm. you put your water, you put a load in, you get a beer, you turn around, you watch a G Love and Special Sauce, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, and it doesn't matter how loud the washing machines are because the band is louder. Exactly. And that way you're making, yeah, you're making your nut from the, from the bar sales and from the laundromat. So then you, can book whatever goddamn bands you want, whatever mm-hmm. music, no one has to say, you don't owe anyone anything. Mm-hmm. I think that's so much where we fall into trouble is that people think the only reason I, I'll take these, cl- I'll pay for these classes because the classes are required for me to perform on this stage mm-hmm. where I've seen so much stuff that I like and want to, I want to be those people. I saw Armando. I want to be in Armando. Mm-hmm. So to play in Armando, I have to take classes here. And then we've sort of internalized this path. Right. Right. Maybe uh, obliquely or not consciously or unconsciously or subconsciously. We've told our students, if you like what you saw here, pay for these classes, then you will have earned stage time. And then there'll be a a, a whole audition process for this house team. And if you make a house team and maybe you get to be on the best house team. And if you're on the best house team, then maybe we get kicked up to this Saturday or Friday night premiere show, whether it's Mm -hmm. this, that's one where all the celebrities do. (laughs) And then maybe if you're around long enough, then maybe you can start coaching here and start teaching here, or maybe get hired to work here. Mm -hmm. And then when that doesn't happen, that sense of validation doesn't happen. You get a lot of bitterness and then you also get the, the, the other side of that double-edged sword. You get a lot of entitlement. We had yeah. someone, we had someone look my mentor in the face and say, I don't know why I would sign up for your classes. If you're not going to guarantee me a spot in one of your house teams. Oof. Yeah. What can you, I wish, I yeah. wish this was a video so everyone could see the face you made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you cringy. do with that? What do you do that? So it's like, Hey, this is a training center. If you like what you saw here, we teach classes in the back. Otherwise, please tip your bartenders. If you take classes here, it is to learn this specific skill set, and then you do with it what you want. We do not have house because then people are like, "Well, don't you owe them a place to like work on those skills and stage time and reps?" I'm like, they can get that anywhere they damn well please. Mm-hmm. Like that's so. 
one of my I'll, I'll say this one last thing and then i really really want to know how you feel about that mm-hmm. i hope one of the other things that dies is this sort of like four improv teams that either are house teams that got broken up but they still really like each other so they all want to play together or, or practice teams you know which is a big thing in, in, in new york and la you know practice teams uh, literally practicing until ucp herald auditions come around like crazy <laughs> concept mm-hmm. uh four of them rent out a black box theater put a cooler in the corner with some beers and some water and a bucket for donations and then one quarter of the audience gets up at a time and performs for the other three quarters the other three teams and then a smattering of significant others friends from out of town or family members which means you only really have anywhere from six to eight original audience members that is unsustainable i do not understand why people just don't find the team member who has the biggest house move all the furniture out of the living room and throw a goddamn house party and do the same thing Mm -hmm. take that 150 to 250 dollars you were going to spend on rent at this black box theater and just do it at your house that Mm -hmm. like so when people are like what about the reps i'm like get the reps does does tiffany have a pool great (laughs) throw a pool party on a sunday and have an improv show while you're doing it it's like yeah that kind of stuff. So I'm sorry. I know I've thrown a bunch of stuff at you, but like, well, I've, to me, I've I, 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 it just doesn't seem. It, before, it just so doesn't seem. Yeah, it just doesn't seem sustainable up at this point. Please, please. Oh, please. look, um, it's something I'm still struggling with because I'm on a house team at the Magnet, and I love the Magnet mm-hmm. and I love the the culture at the Magnet. Um, so do I. I've known I've known David Wharf for like I don't know. 10,000 years, something like that. Yeah. And it's, I love the community. And that's the thing that everyone always likes about the magnet. Um, whenever mm-hmm. I talk to somebody who is in the community or a student um, or someone who wants to study and has done uh, at yep. magnet and has done maybe a couple of jams. And I say, right. or, and they'll, they'll come to like the Wednesday night mixer a bunch, or they'll do like the free class, the free intro class. And I'll say, like, why do you want to, yeah. And I'll say, why do you want to study here? And they all talk about the community. Mm -hmm. And so I do think, I think that's what resonates most with me about what you're saying is that um, the important thing really is the community and also like the art form. Yes. Spreading that art form, enjoying that art form in an honest way where it's not tied to stuff that's really like, either problematic or it's just toxic or it's just not joy giving. Um, it's pay to play. They went right. through this in the, they went through this in the music industry with Payola back in the fifties and sixties and then pay to play in the Los Angeles metal scene in the early eighties. You buy the tick, you buy 1500 tickets from the club <laughs> and then you go out and sell those tickets and you'll make your money back if you sell them all. Yeah. So it's not even like, but, but you have to pay to play. Yeah. And I just, I'm, I'm against that. I'm against that for sure. Right, and that's something where I'm also like, yeah, the things that are rubbing you the wrong way and that you're against here, I agree with. So I can't like, um, I can't disagree, but I do like being on a house team. So I don't really yeah. know. I, I part of me when I've heard you say this before, I've been like, is there a way to do house teams in a way that's healthy? And I think there is maybe a way that a theater can put it out the right way, but what it's not going to avoid, and I don't know what it is. I'm just saying maybe that's possible. I mean, I think one thing that I really appreciated, because I 
there is a part of me that believes in study and then having a conservatory and mm-hmm. um I, they were very generous with the amount of class amount of shows that you get with the classes at at magnet but I, one thing that i really appreciated was uh in the last conservatory class um peter mcnerney was saying us like you're like I'm gonna paraphrase. He put it so well, sure. but I'm gonna paraphrase. He was basically like, "Okay, this thing that you've been doing is special. That's the thing that matters, and you're gonna be up for. You're gonna go audition. You're gonna get a call mm-hmm. back. You're not gonna get a call back, and you're gonna disagree <laughs> with it, and that's fine. <laughs> I like that, <laughs> but." You're gonna like this yeah. stuff that we are doing and that we have been doing in in the conservatory. <clears throat> it's not for that. It's not so that you can, you know. It's it's not connected. Like yeah. I, I get the impression that he would probably agree with you that there should be a it should be divorced, like the the training mm-hmm. and and I don't want to put words in Peter's mouth, but I'm just saying like oh, please. the the ver the the. The vibe that I got from him was very much like, okay, yeah, one does lead to the other, but you shouldn't care so much about the audition that's going to take place. In yeah, this- and it's hard to t- it's hard to tell someone that who has invested so right. much of themselves in it, especially like you and I when we found improv, mm-hmm. we were like, this is the thing I want to do for the rest of my life. This thing saved my life. It gave me all mm-hmm. of my friends. It gave me my purpose. It gave me my meaning. Mm-hmm. How? C- okay. And now not care as much. Right. Oh, I don't know how I can do that. Right. right? <clears throat> I think some of it comes from limiting, like say what you want about second city, but I did like the idea that at least they offered the idea of tracks. Mm-hmm. Are you here to just have fun? And your Tuesday night was, it was either this or a cooking class at the learning annex, but they didn't have, they didn't offer it on Tuesday night. The Tuesday night you had free, or are you here to try and be a professional performer entertainer i like that comedian i didn't know they did that yeah yeah they did have at least in la i saw that because i was in the green room i was sitting in with opening night and i looked on the uh the like the big poster that they had of all the different i was like what's this what's this track thing they're like oh that's okay if you like if you don't want to do performance stuff if that's not what you're doing it for like you just don't go into that track and i was like oh my god what a brilliant idea that probably would alleviate a lot of the entitlement or maybe well not entitlement but the, no one no one <laughs> you're right I, that's why i changed <laughs> mid mid thought i think the people i think if you did have two different tracks or like a few different tracks like mm-hmm. that i mm-hmm. think you would have people who would say oh great i just want to do this for fun and they wouldn't fall into the trap of well i have to uh, i'm taking classes so the yeah. next thing is to get in the conservatory and then the next thing is to get on a house team and that shouldn't be how people think but i don't know how to have house teams and divorce people from that thought or have well there's there's still going to be tweeners or anything you know yeah there's still going to be tweeners there's still going to be people who are like well i i want to i want to do shows and i want to play with the best people but like i have a i have a husband and two kids like Mm -hmm. i have my regular job and regular life True. What, yeah. what do you mean I have to take this one track where I don't get to do any shows and I'm not playing with the best people? And I'm like, whoa, we didn't say they weren't the best people. We just said they weren't interested in yeah. making it a career. <clears throat> Those are your words. And you have all these things. I think part oh, yeah. of what happens on the one hand, like you say, like being very generous 
with performances for for classes for you know i kind of go back and forth it's a double-edged sword because on the one hand having a single grad show that is a way for you to invite all of your friends and family to see this cool thing you've been doing that has given you so much happiness that you've been talking about over drinks and brunch all Mm -hmm. for the last six eight weeks right Mm -hmm. then there's an idea of having like multiple of those i'm like well when it's a very thin line when those multiple grad shows just become an unadvertised burden for you, the student, to market and and fill our theater with paying customers. Even if the ticket is free, we're going to want them to buy concessions because that's where our money is. And hopefully, mm-hmm. maybe if we're really lucky, mm-hmm. get a couple of them to sign up for the class mm-hmm. and we would start this MLM all fucking over again, right? Mm-hmm. I think partly what you can do is sort of find that strike strike that balance or just say like look we're only gonna do one grad show because this is what this theater believes in or no we're gonna do three it's an eight-week class or it's a it's a six-week class so your last three weeks you're gonna have class you're gonna have class shows so you can do the show and then talk about it in class the next week Mm -hmm. that's fair too i can buy that i think one of the ways you can start that with house teams is have one house team Mm. there is when uh because that's where it came from the idea of a house band the band that was the best, the band that that knew every song on the radio, even if the song only came out that week, mm-hmm. had a bunch of originals that were also really cool and good. They were energetic. They were charismatic. The lead singer had a great voice and was really good looking. Mm-hmm. And they, but more importantly, they got to play in that big bar in town Fridays and Saturdays. This is me showing my my music background. Mm-hmm. Fridays and Saturdays because they were the best band in town. They brought the most people who wanted to party, have a good time, and dance. And the owner of the place said, "Yes, mm-hmm. I'm going to charge a covered charge. That's your money. But my bar is going to be filled with people all night long, drinking and having a good time and making me money." mutual symbiotic relationship Mm -hmm. when io chicago closed it had 30 fucking house teams so what what sense of quality can there be there and then we do stuff like that and i think because there's house teams but then there's also like the premiere shows Mm -hmm. so it's like yeah i'm on i'm on foster kids which is a house herald team at io west at eight o'clock uh on wednesday night but I really want to play in Armando. Mm-hmm. Armando's mm-hmm. like, all right, then I would be really good in Armando. And like, and then you have other people who are just like, we we ran into this when we were uh, doing at IO West. It was always where look, we said it before every Herald audition. All right, before we let the first group in, we don't have to create any new teams. We're just watching and seeing what the talents are and all that. We said that to ourselves and we lied probably only half of the time to ourselves (laughs) because, and then the one time I was, I just had to raise my hand. I was like, I have to, I I hate to be this guy, but I, I, I think this idea, cause we had three stages there was main stage Herald teams Mm -hmm. and I don't know who, but then it came about like, well, we should have, we have all these students and we don't have enough space for them to do stage time which was crazy because there was so much independent improv going on anyway they could have played wherever the fuck they wanted to play Mm -hmm. we should keep them here and make sure we you know we've invested all this time in them and we should keep them here and monitor them and make sure they're progressing so we'll eventually have more main stage people we're in los angeles we're in the entertainment capital of the world we're never going to be lacking for talent for our main stage what are we talking about so we'll create dct teams and loft teams we'll create a what a major league baseball, a triple a and a double a, 
And I was like, I, I feel like we're going to create more problems than we solve making these other teams. No, no, this is good because then people will feel like that. And I shit you not almost immediately. I was getting calls from people or people like, Hey, BOC, before you go into the bar for a second, can I, can I talk to you for a second? You know me. I'm like, yeah, always. I'm your teacher for life. I'm, right. I'm here. I would love to talk shop. And it's almost always like, look, I, I'm not saying like, I'm not saying I should be on like trophy wife tomorrow. Right. You know, nine o'clock Wednesday night, Herald team. They're amazing. I'm not saying I should be on trophy wife, but I'm at least as good as a DCT team, man. I right. should be on a loft team. And then you started seeing these really weird yeah. narratives or we would have to like justify, like almost like we are doing bad improv right now, because then I would hear from those same people like, well, I talked to, you know, I talked to the AD and he said, obviously I'm very talented and all that. And, you know, they couldn't fit everybody that like the reason why I'm on a loft team is because I'm, I'm a lot better than a lot of the other people. And I'm sort of like uh, a rock. I'm, I'm sort of like the anchor of that. And eventually when the next Herald editions come around, like it's more than likely that I'm going to push up to the themselves team. above Even, other people and all that yes, sort of stuff. Still yes, happens. Yeah. Yes. I was like, I what mean, are we doing? Getting bigger cannot be the answer at this point. Right, right. When you I have mean, when you have a thousand when you have a thousand people lined up around the block for a UCB Herald audition when there are only nine slots yeah. available. Or less. I or mean, less. I've heard of times where it's like hundreds of people auditioned and there was one spot open. Um yeah. I, I think there was there is no that can't right. be sustainable. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah. I don't think there is a right way to have managed uh, everything as big as they got. I just think there's no way to do it and, and keep everyone uh, in check happy. as far yeah. as, yeah, and keeping everyone happy when you have that many people. They had thousands of people who were going through classes a year and, you know, tons of them good and, and you know, should be able to, perform on stage and yeah. uh in a in a highlighted sort of way because they're that good but there's not enough room for it yeah and, and then leaving and then leaving the art it. yeah and then leaving the art film art form feeling bitter and betrayed which is just perfect for fucking improv right so great right <laughs> but i mean even if like ucb had put <laughs> a theater in every neighborhood or every like section of yeah. manhattan in a couple of uh, theaters in every borough or mm -hmm. something like that, you still would have had someone who's like, yeah, I'm used to be Brooklyn, but I really want to be on the main stage. You know? Oh, like, you're right. There's just no way. They could have gotten everyone placed on a house team. And they still would have just looked at the Sunday night ASCAT team as the pinnacle. You know, you're right, because it's already happened. People right. try... If like they did it, they literally did it at Second City. If you studied at Second City LA instead of Second City Chicago, you weren't allowed to play in the alum show. If you graduated from IO Chicago, you could you could uh, you could get into shows for free in LA, mm -hmm. but not vice versa. Mm -hmm. But my girl Allison Reese was told flat out when she auditioned for Herald, she was like, "Why not get in?" It's like, "Well, you studied in LA first, and everyone there does it for you know industry, and uh, that doesn't make you a very good team player." And the person who said that is one of the most least talented pieces of shit I've ever made in my fucking life. And I told her as much. I was like, you do not listen to that man. That man is wrong. But it's, yeah, it's ingrained a in. Thing, that's a shitty thing to say just because it's like, you can't assume. Like, there are a ton mm -hmm. of great... Like, you know, we're talking about how culture at UCB was problematic in a lot of ways, but that doesn't mean everybody there was a bad person. You know, we're not saying no. that. 
So I, I wouldn't no. assume if they came from UCB, be like, well, you've got that UCB attitude of cooler than everybody. I don't know that about this person. Yeah. I just know that there well, yeah, were people I, I, who did that over there, <laughs> and it was a problem. Yeah. And, you know, there are a lot of uh, well, there, these problems everywhere. Yeah, but I also heard that, too, from people who were like, yeah, I did the Second City Cleveland. And when I moved to Chicago, they were like, oh, you did Second City Cleveland. Oh, yeah. Second City Detroit. So when you're saying, like, mm-hmm. yeah, even if they put a, like, McDonald's, if they put a UCB in every city in town, be like, oh, you did UCB Kansas City? Well, uh, we do it a little bit different. And you know mm-hmm. what? That is almost always coming from a person who is projecting their own insecurities. That's mm-hmm. never coming from... I don't know. Pick, pick a name. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like I had forgotten yeah, I, that, I, I, that second city had done that method. Cause they had something in Raleigh, didn't they? Didn't second city have, uh, no, that was I, O. they did. No, they had oh, I O South. They did I O South at uh, comedy works for a hot second. That, that whole, during that time, that whole, uh, that whole area was toxic. It was better now mm. by the time. Uh, okay. So what's the answer then? I need you, you know, to help I, me. Like when when we come when we come back, <laughs> how do we come back and how do we avoid this stuff? Well, I think know, it's for making it, it things smaller. I think smaller can help some of these things, but some of the issues are some of the problems are self inflicted. Like some things okay. are like. How do you mean? Well, just like how that one, you know, the people who had said like, "Oh, I just think I can be on the weekend team." Like that's, mm-hmm. or even a better example is when you said, uh, people were like, well, this track, they're not as good. It's like, no, no, no. I didn't say that the people who just are doing it for fun are not as good. That's that you said that I didn't yeah. say that. You said that we're you not saying that. Yeah. <laughs> we're not, that is not true. Um, I think that's going to ha that's where it gets to be self-inflicted. That's where it's like, okay, you're Yikes. bitter that you didn't get past auditions um, because you feel entitled to get past auditions and you're yeah. blaming the people who were there when you don't realize you don't take into account just like there's there are not that many spots and it's competitive. Um, it yeah. doesn't mean that you're not good and it doesn't mean that they are wronging you, but people I've been in that. hundreds. I've been in hundreds of Herald auditions on both sides. It took me six times to make a house Herald team at iOS. Like I went through the whole process a bunch of times and I was on the other side being a coach and a teacher <clears throat> and being the bar manager, like, and wanting to help out on that. So I've seen hundreds of Herald auditions easily thousands of people auditioned. Ton of them are great. Ton of them were funny. Ton of them are, I was like, Oh, you're just not ready right now. Or like, Oh, I've seen you perform before. You are better than this. You just tanked, but yeah. Hey, sometimes people don't test well, whatever three people, there have been three people in the history of like from the minute they opened their mouth, they said, well, we're taking her, we're mm. taking them Ever, like to where the dork shut. And we went, so we can all agree on such. And we're like, yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. was Peter, Peter Fluey, Betsy Sodaro, Lauren Lapkus. That's oh it. yeah. Those are the three people. The first time they yeah. opened their mouths. And even then was like, I think Bet at that time, you could only audition if you were in level four or above, or if you had a teacher, like it's another fucking crazy listen to the words i'm saying you can only audition for a house herald team if you're in level four or above if you're below level four you need to have a written permission slip from your teacher mm-hmm. and so for sadaro she came in and crushed it and one person i won't say any names but one person was like 
I just, I don't want to be that person, but I have to say it. She's in my level two. And I didn't say that she could do this. She is crashing this audition. And another person says, well, I don't care. She's fucking funny. I'm taking her from my team. <laughs> and that was it. That was the end of the discussion. Cause we were like, yeah. So like she crashed the audition. Like, what are we talking? What about? are we talking so, about? So in the, and the great quantity of it, all of these improvisers, I can only anecdotally, I can only talk about three people where I was like, Oh, Yes, 100%. Mm -hmm. We are mm -hmm. all in lockstep. That is a, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer. That person's going to a main stage Herald team yeah. today. Yeah. Right? So, and like, honestly, um, someone asked a similar question of Lorne Michaels when it came to auditioning cast members. And he said there were mm -hmm. two that he knew at the audition who were like ready. <laughs> and it was Dana Carvey and Kristen Wiig. Now, yeah, that's right. All of the massive superstars comedy mm -hmm. legends and it's those this just those two that he's saying were ready you can see audition. it too have, have you have you watched dana's i've never seen kristen wiggs but have you watched dana's i don't think i have you can you can watch it on youtube i at least once a year phil hartman's my guy that's my yeah. brother, you know right yeah, if you watch me play, you'll be like, "Oh, that guy's just ripping off Phil Hartman." <laughs> Gladly own up to it. Uh, I, you can I see did like a sketch he's so audition. I wanted to be the I wanted to be the Phil Hartman. <laughs> yeah, be the glue, baby. So you can see his. It's the same. It's the same background in the same time period as Dana. So you can see it. I watch Phil's almost once or twice, minimum once or twice a year, mm. and you can see he's over it. He knows he's on the wrong side of 30. He's not mm -hmm. like, no, whatever. He's like, oh, here's another one. And then he'll just like go into a pitch perfect Jack Nicholson. And then you're like, I don't know, whatever. Just put down yeah. the prop. You're just like fucking wasting my time here. Attitude. <laughs> yeah. And then Dana, and then you watch Dana's and Dana's just like so comfortable. So knows he has it in the bag before he's even done anything. He's like, I know. I like it. Hey, Lauren, should I play this song? Lauren likes this song and he does broccoli, right? <laughs> Chopping broccoli. He goes, I don't know. Another like, I feel like I've done all this stuff before, but now Lauren likes it. Do you guys mind? You want me to do another one? Like he just has it. Of course he knew. Of course he knew. He's acting like it. You can see it. Yeah. Right. It's uh, bizarre. And and I yeah. only bring that up to say that like, you know, there's always going to be people who like, there are a bunch of superstars who didn't get on SNL after auditioning, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's always going to be people who don't yeah. get there. And Jordan Peele, Jordan Peele, Kevin, Hart, on. Uh, Lisa yeah. Kudrow, you know, like a ton Tons. of people. Tons. It's a who's who. Yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, I think that's where, it depends on the mentality of the person because there's some people who will audition and uh, for a house team or, or whatever. And they will say, well, it's competitive. You know, I didn't get it. And that's, that's okay. That's just part yeah. of this. Right. And then you're going to have people who will be bitter and angry. And I don't know that there's a fix, a, a systemic fix for that. Because there are not, for, not, be people not like for introspection. That. Yeah, right. not for introspection. There's no systemic like I was disappointed sometimes, but I never thought like I got fucked over. And when I did my sixth one, the one where I finally made a team and that was Foster Kids, in the moment, as I'm doing the scene with Candace, I was like, Oh, I'm in. Mm. I can feel it. I am crushing this scene. <laughs> Everyone in the room in this callback is dying laughing. I am having objectively like 
I I had the lights line. Like I had not only two of the edit lines where people were like swept at it because they're like not getting funnier than that. That's definitely <laughs> the button of the scene. And then I had the last line of the show, and then the AD called lights. Like I knew I was in. There's no there's no there's no correlation there. But it is funny hearing things like seeing that because like I reach you know thank god we're not doing stand-up is the most i like to say i don't know how you do it brother i i did it i haven't when I was done a teenager. it in a while <laughs> good because like I, I i retweeted somebody today where it's just like there's a lot of guys out there right now who think they're bill hicks and they're just really just a more pro rape andy rooney oh wow you know, yeah that's, yeah there's a lot of a lot of problems in that world right now that oh, yeah. uh thankfully are not as I will knock on wood, but like, I don't see nearly as much of the alt-right hanging around improv theaters as I do stand-up theaters. I know. And I don't know who the like 25 or 30 year old stand-up is. Well, I don't know. I'd have to look into them. Sure. There's somebody that maybe I think is a little older, but I don't know who the 25 year old stand-up is. That's going to be the next. John Mulaney or Dave Chappelle or something like that because it's a to, I keep seeing people who I just don't think are as good and they are real lazy yeah. and they say offensive things for the sake of saying offensive things and it's working for them. Uh, so I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I, I don't know either. And there's also too like improv's always had this problem or this this problem of of perception too is that there are a lot at my least charitable. I have said, and I and I believe it. I don't want to say it a lot, but I do believe it that there is a epidemic of lazy hack comedians who did improv, who are do, who did and are doing improv because they do not have the discipline or the uh, uh, intestinal fortitude to do sketch or stand up comedy. Mm-hmm. They want to show up, do some lazy, offensive jokes and 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 hack stuff and steamroll in the scene. Mm-hmm wear their wear their street clothes invite their same four buddies get that quick like you know mm-hmm. main line to the vein of uh, instant feedback and then go to the bar and have a bunch of beers with those guys and talk about how funny they were yeah that's it like there's we have if this global pandemic which is horrible if there's any silver lining to our art form i'm hoping a lot of those people never come back yeah, honestly, never come back to it. I, I I want the form to be for people who want to engage with other people, because that's yes! inherently what it is. <laughs> so if you're not willing to engage with other people, I don't need you around improv. It's it's you have you have fundamentally misunderstood the purpose of the art form. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was just I was just going through this the other day when people were talking about like. Well, you know, when we come back, how can we afford to do social distancing? If we don't do social distancing, should we wait until you don't need to have social distancing before we open it? Because like the pack theater is like 42 seats. It's a black box theater. It's next mm-hmm. to each other. That's I haven't perfect. had these conversations. Yeah, I haven't. Yeah, perfect. Right. I haven't had these conversations with anyone in the pack. I don't want anyone to think that I'm talking about official stuff. I'm, mm-hmm. I have stepped down from my own duties. I'm talking about just general when I've talked to different ADs and different theater owners and and performers from around the country. And I keep mentally, I keep going back to the idea of like, well, we don't have the budget or, you know, whatever to like do test screenings and do all the kind of like cleaning in between shows and social, social distancing me at a, at a 50 seat theater means you have 10 people in there. I don't think you can, 
you can't justify you're not even going to pay to keep the lights on much less right. pay any of your employees right. or anything like that most I just theaters keep going is going to need a <laughs> 80 or 90 capacity uh for sure I, I just go back to the thing of like and then it's, it's it came up randomly and somewhere else where someone was like well well i mean you know do we do this thing like what if they haven't been vaccined i'm like well look if someone hasn't been vaccinated because of a medical condition or an immunity, in, immunity, they know that they're taking care of their own personal health. Uh, we will tell them that we love them. We empathize that they're staying home or that, you know, maybe they shouldn't come in and maybe we can, you know, give them a discount or something, a future show to let them know that we see them and, mm-hmm. and we, we empathize with their plight. Mm-hmm. But if someone's trying to come into my theater or, or perf- much less perform, Mm-hmm. That and saying proudly that they haven't been vaccinated because it's a personal choice. How can I possibly ever trust that person to take care of me on stage? Right. Fuck out of here. Right. The, you are you are basically if you know what it is your personal choice. Your personal choice is I don't want to do fucking improv anymore because I don't fucking care about people. Right. And I'm telling you up front, a, a half a million people died in this country alone, and I don't give a fuck. Right. I'm not going to wear a piece of fabric over my stage now. Allow me to tag into your scene. <laughs> right, and let me take care you. of you. <laughs> let me Fuck touch you and do off. a talking head scene. Yeah, twelve inches in front of your face. <laughs> Get, uh, yeah, so you can do your close talker character again. <laughs> Get out of here! I don't need it. I don't need it. I don't yeah, need that. I, that guy's full stop. <laughs> does not need to be here. <laughs> well, to somewhat uh, finish what you were wondering about, how I think. It will come back and maybe even uh, what I think should happen. I do think we've learned so much over the last year um, about, uh, well, I mean, there's all the social stuff that we've been grappling with. Drop the science. Drop that science on me right now. Go (laughs) go where you're going. I loved it. There's so much we're learning about racism uh, and that it also involves Asians, people, that's still racism. It's not just mm-hmm. what's happening to black people uh, or Hispanics. It's also, mm-hmm. let's talk about all kinds of bigotry here. You know, you're not, mm-hmm. you're not being woke if you're not aware of Asian mm-hmm. hate or transphobia or, or mm-hmm. Islamophobia. You know, like all ageism. Like we've got to address these things in a real way. And uh, I've, of course, we're we've been for several years uh, facing systemic sexism uh, mm-hmm. uh, in in how our society is set up. I think we have to; those are obvious things that we have to think about as we move forward here. And I and I think most places will try to do that. I think, as far as how to set up theaters so that they are aware of that i think you just have to have a lot of people that you're engaging with it can't it can't only be who you're hiring because mm-hmm. you have to step outside of your bubble your improv bubble and your improv community world and engage with some people who don't do anything with improv but they're experts on these issues and you engage mm-hmm. with them on how they handle it and you i think it's also incumbent upon theaters if you're going to bother having employees to approach things the way the corporate world has been trying to approach things as far as addressing these issues 
in mm-hmm. in the workplace because they have been doing sensitivity seminars for a long time and they those seminars aren't happening at theaters and it's like but you're supposed to be the ones who everyone says is so liberal and gets this stuff and you're not <laughs> doing it but corporate mm-hmm. america is already on like addressing this stuff of course there's I, still I, a lot of garbage people <clears throat> in the corporate world yeah. but i'm just talking about addressing it yeah a lot of times i hear the argument of like well, we're a small theater. We can't afford that. I was like, do you know how many nonprofits do this stuff? Right. They're set up to do this. for so- Also, do you know how many people that would volunteer their time just to be like, oh, thank God you're asking me mm-hmm. to do this. Right. You don't <clears> have, have to pay to them. Uh, you don't have yeah. to worry about money because they're not offering. They're not they're not yeah. offering their services for you to give them yeah. money. They're saying, yeah, I'll give you some material to go over. Like this is just you have to engage with people who are studying this stuff and and mm. made it their life's work to deal with these these social issues. Yeah, it's and, you're not like and, it's not like you're at a party and you find out a guy is a lawyer and then you ask for free legal advice and that guy's like, "Uh, you find out someone's a social worker or someone that works in in equity or or diversity structures mm-hmm. and then you go like you meet them at a party you ask them about it, they're dying for you to ask them about it oh my god here's where you go mm-hmm. can you have your email do you have an instagram can <laughs> right. i send you some stuff like right. they, they will knock down you they will knock you down mm-hmm. to get to mm-hmm. show you where the stuff is you can go for it yeah and so i i think that's some of what's going to have to happen i know that amy poehler said in an interview that um they're uh, working with a uh a group that is uh, deals with these sort of matters, and I think uh, those just first and foremost, you have to start doing the things that you should have been doing all along if you're running yeah. a theater, which is considering other people outside of your perspective <laughs> or culture. It's one of my favorite things that we hear out here in Los Angeles. I, I would love to give credit where credits due, but I've just heard too many people say it, especially people of color in the entertainment business who are just like when people when <laughs> With, when the question is asked, well, how, how can we be better about diversity hires? It's always like, well, number one, stop calling them diversity hires. Mm-hmm. And number two, hire them. <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> right. Problem solved. Right. We just don't know where we can find all these talented black people. Like, they're everywhere. <laughs> just hire them. Interview them. Like, oh, we have to spend... We have to spend all this money on getting creative on how we're going to be able to have more representation. <laughs> well, stop calling me like like heather campbell is like that you know that's my girl she's just like she's been hearing for 20 years how how funny she is that you're a great female writer oh my oh, god I hate it can i just be a great writer can i just be a great writer can as if it's some me, other kind of thing yeah. it's still just writing <laughs> yeah <laughs> like it's the same thing with when right when the me too movement started coming like i i thank God I only had to do it a couple of times to people like that are friends of mine and I care about their opinion. And, and if I see them ever again, and a majority overwhelming majority of them were like, you're right. That's cool. Uh, but whenever it came up of like, Oh, they're just doing this or they're just acting it out or whatever. I was like, I'm sorry. I don't know a single of my female friends who want to be known as a rape victim before a funny sketch artist. Right. I just not. I'm a great actress is how I would like to be known first. Mm-hmm. No one is like, man, I hope that I walk into a party and everyone goes, 
Ooh, there's that sexual assault victim. I got to get them on my improv right. team. Never. No one, they never. Yeah, exactly. No one. It's no not one wants that. Right. No one is yeah. bringing it up so he can get ahead in their career. They're bringing it up it's, because yeah. it's terrible. And people who are yeah. getting ahead in, in the business are the mm. perpetrators of the assaults. And yeah. that's worth pointing out. So I think there's a lot of that kind of stuff that has to happen knowing where your blind spots are. Yes. I think that's where, where it just has to be. And I think in regards to the structure, I do think you're onto something and you're right when you say the anticipation of stage time needs to be separated from the training, the training, the training specific its own thing, specifically the training center. Cause then people are like, well, then what do you do? I'm like, <clears throat> well, people in classes, we already do that. You know who the talented people are. You know, are the people, who the talented people are, who also are like super gung ho about stuff and all that. <clears throat> and then I'll be like, Hey, really great class. Really having, if you ever have anything, I'm not saying you should audition for Herald teams or house teams. I'm going to say, if you ever have anything that you want to pitch me as an idea for a show, feel free. My, my email is always up. My inbox is always open and all that. And then you can cut off a lot of that stuff because then it's like, all right, if you're going to be serious, show me that you're serious. Mm -hmm. Cause if someone just comes up to me and says, Hey, me and the three other white dudes that I perform in with class, we hang out. We're really kind of funny. We kind of want to like, we call, uh, we're called, uh, Mick dicks and, uh, we, <laughs> we don't have a coach, but we kind of want to play on your stage. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, um, where's your EPK? That's an electronic press kit. Did you not know that? Oh, I thought, I'm sorry. I thought you were serious. I'm running a business here. Mm -hmm. Also, it better be the funniest thing in the history of the world, because since this is my business, this business is my values, uh, a, a, team of nothing but 23 year old straight white guys isn't the audience that i'm marketing to i'm trying to uh, market to as broad of an audience as possible so you better be the funniest goddamn thing on the planet you better be four seth rogans that anyone is howling <laughs> i like i want i want sister soldier to walk into my bar and go what are they for like okay these guys are funny okay they're funny i get this i get why they're on stage right Right. Like, because those are my values. And then, cause also I'm going to run a place. This is me uh, in my mythical place. I'm like, also I pay people, I pay performers because I don't need you to keep my doors open. I have right. that from the laundromat. I have That's from that from where, my classes exactly. and, and I, my bar. I wanted to say this when you brought up the, you know, that there was a laundromat in this place Yeah, and this, this it was a music venue. Um, mm -hmm. I like that. It's something completely separate. It's not yeah. something that's all like running a restaurant. Uh, that's not a great idea as the no. the lights on thing because that's as no. tough to do as running a theater. You want something that is <clears throat> as practical as a laundromat because you're always yeah. going to make money <laughs> with the laundromat I'm rent or, this, or something yeah. like it. Yeah, or I'm going to rent out the space. It's office space during the day, and it's an mm -hmm. art gallery and performance space at night. I am doing something that makes my nut so that when someone comes to me, I say, okay, cool. Let us let us engage in a mutually beneficial agreement based solely on the quality of the art and creative vision that you want. And if that fits with mine, great. Because I think the future is not these huge improv institutions. It's coalitions. It's collaborations. Mm. I think keeping it a small bespoke almost to the section of like you know like you want to keep, make sure that you're getting out of your comfort zone and your blind spots but mm -hmm. also like there's something to be said for mentorships there's something to be said about um 
apprenticeships. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is what I'm trying to do is now is I'm trying to put my money where my mouth is. Like, uh, I I look out for Al. She's our girl. We love her. Like, so I'm her Naz, a a few others, my girl, Becky Sanders. Like I go out of my way to make sure that I am mentorship and then letting them know about opportunities Mm -hmm. and because yeah, if I'm putting my money where my mouth is just, you know, you know, how to do better with diversity hires, hire them. Right. Mm-hmm. I do that with school, of the arts people, you know, the film school I went to, I, I hire graduates on stuff. I constantly have done that. And then I feel like having those small bespoke places where everyone is, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Everyone has been vetted mm-hmm. and has, you know, been around for a long time and sort of, and then you start working with smaller little theaters. I would prefer instead of three theaters all fighting over a small audience in a major city, which is ridiculous, mm-hmm. and then having people sign non-compete clauses and all that shit. Right. Have right. Have forty different little unique theaters in one place that will all work together for like mm-hmm. big events, like tentpole events, like once a year festivals or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're all helping each other and collaborating. But also, if like if your town just becomes known as like. Oh, well, you go out to dinner and you see a cool, funny comedy show. Where? Oh, well, where do you want to go? What are you in the mood for? Are you more for a punk uh, rock yeah. vibe? Are you more for like a, a family festival thing? Oh, are you looking for something that's a little bit more like dance and creative? Like it's theater. Mm-hmm. People don't go. People go to the Son of Simile here in Los Angeles to see brave, new, avant-garde works that are premiering. That's their thing. And then people go to like the Met to see to see broadway to see big plays like Mm -hmm. to see like hey this is top gun live where we bring (laughs) someone up on stage and they play goose and the rest of us you know all do it and we give them their they're reading their lines off and like this is the musical place this is the weird art place and then you can like you can make a night of it you and i can go have dinner or like have early drinks go to a place to see like oh that was a oh that was a nice like (laughs) <laughs> oh, that was an improvised genre show. That was cool. And then maybe we have another drink. And then some we run into somebody that we know. We're like, oh, where are you heading? Like, oh, we're going like, dude, it's it's like this weird. It's all all I can tell you is that it's improvised, it's uh deathcore music, and it's all done with neon green puppets. We're like, well, it's 11 p.m. Let's go see that. Like, there's something <laughs> for everybody and all yeah. of us working together that way, right? Just be your own thing, be yeah. your own thing. You don't have to be like giant that. thing. You give everybody on the planet, you know, stage time. Yeah. So that's, uh, I, I appreciate you sharing that because it, it, it filled in some gaps of my understanding of where you're coming from with it. Cause you mm-hmm. aren't saying like no house teams because there shouldn't be meritocracy. Like there's still like people auditioning in some cases or pitching their shows, yeah. at least, you know? So if somebody's real strong, they're still going to like get something if there's, if they are serious about it. But what I like about what you're saying is it cuts out the cities where it's all the same, where all these theaters are operating the same way. Yes. And so there's no variety in what people can enjoy and engage with. And yeah it also gives more opportunity for more people to perform, you know, like if they are, if they met in classes and they had this idea, they can pitch that and get on stage. And, uh, the theaters like a magnet can still operate the way it's operating, but then there's also the tank or whatever's Mm -hmm. new, like this girl theater that's coming 
or if the pit comes back, I don't know. They have, hopefully they'll be able to get three stages up again. You know, whatever it is, there's still opportunity for people to, and there are other theaters here. Like there's a, I don't know much about them, but there is a, an improv theater that went into UCB's vacated space when they moved, when UCB moved to Hell's Kitchen, you know, so there's oh, these, there's opportunities. And if we can all work in concert just to point to each other to say like, oh, you want that kind of thing? Well, they're really great at that over there. And if it's not all based on the same idea of like where you take the classes and then you can get on stage, mm-hmm. then I think mm-hmm. you create more opportunity. And I think it would be nice if, yeah, there's like the Saturday teams, just because I think you probably would have to have some consistency in some of these bigger theaters of like. Of course, of course. You know, but obviously. Yeah. The, but it's above board a, then. But right. then it's all above board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> exactly. I, I think it. I think you're dead on where it, it creates not only more opportunities for stage time, but more variety of opportunity of stage right, time. Right. I'm a big, I'm a big believer in the idea of like pitch the show that fits the aesthetic of the theater that you want to perform at. You can't put breaking bad on CBS. That's not right. their thing. That's not, not what they thing. do. Right. But also people are into lots of different things. So if you're like, yeah, because I have a healthy improv scene that has multiple theaters that are their own niche thing that but we all collaborate and support together and no one's banned from any other place aside from, you know, being a shithead or a problematic or, or, or a monster, right, right? right? There's no non-compete clauses. Sunday night, I do comedy sports and I'm on a blue team there and I really love doing that. Um, uh, Monday, I do the drop-in jam just because I feel like it. Uh, Wednesday mm-hmm. is my sketch team where uh, we do it in a, uh, we do it in this... Uh, in the back of this bookstore and it's all based on fairy tales. And I really into that because I'm a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. Friday night is when I do your fucked up relationship. That's the 10 o'clock show where I'm allowed to drop at bombs and all that. <laughs> and then Saturday is for, for me and my husband. Right. And we just, you know, <laughs> right, kind of, right. you can do all those things that you're still performing four five, six a night. I think we're a lot right. of, places get into trouble is like yeah there are three or four places that are all doing the exact same stuff wondering why the scene isn't alive with like uh-huh. customers or audience members or you're like i can't believe i'm not performing four times a week a week at this one place because everyone else i see that does is clearly part of the cool kids club or the click right. that's at this place right spread around and then that's and the second thing i believe in when it comes to that very, very hard. And I got this from miles as I've gotten so many other things is that the second that you think the theater needs you more than you need it, you should move on. Mm. You should go to a different place when I was. And what I mean by that, I mean, that as a positive sense. If you aren't getting what you want out of the theater, you're not getting on the house teams, but go start your own thing. Right. Please do. We need, we all like it's, it may not, like you said, it may not be anything personal. We just don't have space for you. Start your own thing create more of the healthiness or like when I was booking the pack, uh, like there was nothing I loved more. Again, we're a 42 seat black box theater. Right. So when, when Stacy Rumacher and John and, and cash, John Conroy and cash, Abdul, uh, Abdul Malik come to me and say like, Hey, we want to take the nightcap with Stacy Rumacher. We're going to move it to a bigger theater. We, we need more space. We need a place that has a working bar. Cause it's a drinking type of show. It's that kind of late night. I'm like, Yes. Are you telling me that your show has become so successful that you've outgrown this? The- that I did my job. Yeah. That's my fucking job. And then I want people to go like, Hey man, if you really want to build up a show, you should get your start at the pack theater. Go talk to O'Connell. 
Because if you do your show there within a year, look at Stacy, look at Roy Shockley and the Color Collective and what Dwayne has been able to do with those guys playing different places. You want to start your show there and a year or two from now, you'll be playing bigger venues. And then, and then I get the cream of the crop. Then I get people pitching me their best ideas because they're like, look, I, I saw what happened with this show, this show, and this show. I Can we do them? Like, all right. Does it fit our aesthetic? Does it fit our like, you know, don't be boring kind of, you know, evolve? That's cool. I handpicked everything and almost all of them were either so successful that they were happy where they were or so successful that they moved on their place or were successful enough for as long as they needed to be to then they didn't need to be on our stage anymore. That's it. That's the other thing. Alex Fernie talks about that. He's like, don't look at Herald teams as something you just do forever. That's not how TV shows work. It's a right. season. Mm-hmm. It's a season. It's a season of television. You got, and if you get three years of a Herald team, that means you got three seasons of a TV show. That's mm-hmm. impressive. Yeah. TV shows are not meant to go like, yeah, there's WWE raw. There's the Simpsons, but <laughs> right, television right. shows, television shows that go five years are considered to be fucking runaway successes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you got five years of a show at an improv theater too, take a bow. Yeah. You did it. Like, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. You got, you got out of it. What you need to get out of it. Go do something else, please start your own thing. So I can come, and perform at your place, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, there it I'd is. I'd love to have a night off. Yeah. <laughs> Just show up and be fabulous and play? Oh, I don't have to produce anything? Fuck yeah, let's do it. <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming on and talking about all that. You have an oh. open invitation on this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And I can't wait to have him on again. I enjoyed that conversation as I always do. I love passionate people, so I got to have him on again. What were your thoughts about what we were talking about? Please share them with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod. And you can find out stuff that Brian has going on. Brian has a film called Bloodsucking Bastards. It's on Amazon Prime. I've seen it and really enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun and has a great cast. Joel Murray's in it. Pedro the Mandalorian. Pascal is in it. So go check that out. Again, it's on Amazon Prime. And check out what we've got going on on thereitispod.com. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 